Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Please Watch This, a film podcast where two film movie mates with gaps in the viewing history recommend films to one another so they can once and for all decide who has the better taste. I am Hugh Dempsey and I am joined as always by Sam Blakely. Hello Sam. Happy birthday week Hugh. Thank you very much. I turned 34 this week. God, what's left after 34? Do you know what? It's one of the... uh, No one talks about being 34. What would Christ have done by 34? Been Died. dead for two years? Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> think on. I know, I'm letting the side down, aren't I? I should be dead by now. And it done miracles. Done miracles, Sam. The, the, the miracles thing first, yeah, he was born the son of God. But then aren't we all the son of God? Isn't that the point of the Bible? No, I think, don't know. I think I don't it is. Know. I, I, it I, I, somewhere near the back. <laughs> again and again <laughs> who beca- you you know I mean we were all t- I mean according to Christian theology we were created by God I guess well no 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 all those people begat uh, Joseph who had fuck all to do with Jesus by the way <laughs> let me forget that was an immaculate conception he yeah. was just a bit of crumpet <laughs> do you know what maybe we're just mis- misinterpreting it when they said it was the immaculate conception he was like oh hey that was some immaculate sex we have conceived that was pitch perfect <laughs> okay so that's two billion people offended um how was your birthday <laughs> <Hugh>? <laughs> um yeah it was pretty low-key to be honest i just went for some f- i went to go see my mum and so my sister came around and i uh, had curry and a couple of glasses of wine and you know this it's hard it. when your birthday's on a wednesday Honestly, you know what I mean? you've got work the next day yeah uh, very civilized yeah. very civil too civilized mate too civilized i know i, I remember know. vomit spewing from your mouth one of your birthdays oh was that my mouth? oh i wouldn't have no, been awake at the time but yeah. probably i presume at some point after i'd passed out you would have um, i remember youth uh, one of my birthdays throwing yeah, up I think on you're my carpet. 15th yeah. or 16th, yeah, that was my first yeah, my 16th, proper experience. Yeah. I haven't drank Aftershock since. Um, <laughs> aside from that, though, you've, you've had a good week then, yeah. Are you, are you celebrating the weekend, or are you, are you done with your birthday now? It's over. No, I've kind of done. I was I, I, I was trying to hint at a friend of mine whose birthday is tomorrow, or today what, is, is this Cristiano Ronaldo? No, it was my friend. Is it Carlos Tom. Tevez? Uh, yes, Right. Yes, I found his. Was it my first girlfriend, Emma? Because <laughs> this is tomorrow as well. Potentially, <laughs> you like to know. And I was like, "Oh, so what are you doing?" Because his birthday so close. And I said, "Oh, so what are you doing for your birthday?" Like, like hint, hint. Let's do something. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, I don't know. I'll just go see my sister, or or uh, or, or my housemates might get me drunk." Right. Top work. Good. Co- good talk, friend. Good talk. <laughs> yeah. I'm pick that up. The thing I was just putting down for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Picking yeah. it right back up. For I'm sat there going. Hey, why don't I come? I was basically because he lives in York, and I was like, "Hey, why don't I come visit you, and we can go out for your birthday and my birthday?" And that didn't happen. So, so he's, yeah, he's and he's never gonna, and he's never gonna know because he doesn't listen to this. So. He left you on red, that fucker. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, it's my also my daughter's birthday yesterday, so we're gonna, you know, this is the reason why I can't celebrate your birthday with you, Hugh. This is about as far yeah. as I'm going. I mean, I could, birthday. we could celebrate my birthday. It would just be in a very maybe uh, a Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'd be like it would be with lots of five year olds and cake <laughs> rather yeah. than yeah. beer and we've got, uh, we've got a unicorn piñata what I mean what, what else what? Do you want <laughs> you've, got, you've got a piñata we've got Are a you... unicorn piñata yeah did she have a nice birthday she had a lovely birthday very Zelda Legend of Zelda themed which very was good you know, That's never a bad thing. the big parties tomorrow in nice. our time are you looking forward to that <laughs> yeah yeah I think so uh, see, see how much of a sleep is it at your house yes have you got yes, loads of five-year-olds coming around to your house to ruin your house? More than would fit 
Yeah, so we're gonna see. How, we're gonna see how that goes. But it should be fun. It should be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm looking forward. I am looking forward to it. But I will tell you what, film news wise, I, I did watch they, a I, film. I watched a film this week. A whole yeah. film. And yeah. I uh, made a classic little ninety second uh, thing on it. Oh, I can't believe it was stuff. showing in my town. Licorice Pizza, mate. Paul Thomas Anderson, mate. Your favorite director of whose films you've not seen? Uh, two of who? <laughs> the most recent two films of his that I haven't seen. Yeah, I haven't seen Inherent yeah. Vice or Phantom Thread somehow. But we will do that yeah. in the future. But yeah, Licorice Pizza. Obviously, I won't spoil a single thing. But it is, it is great. It's classic PTA. It's, it's the most unpredictable. One of the most unpredictable films you'll ever see, and it's. It's ble- just bloody brilliant. I find myself thinking about it a lot, and it's tableau after tableau and amazing performances. And, and I got this joy watching Philip Seymour Hoffman's son Cooper on screen because he just shares so many of his mannerisms. It was just like it was like he was back again, you know, forever. And he's, and he's charisma to burn, Cooper Hoffman. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it myself because mm. I am a fan of Paul Thomas Anderson's work. Yeah. And um, I would quite happily do this film for the podcast, so maybe we should do it in a f- couple of months' time when it comes out on DVD. We definitely ought to, because we're, we're we're absolutely stacking up the plans for the next few weeks, but we'll get to that we later. Yeah, we've, gone on, yeah. we've done the gear banter for over five minutes now, Hugh, which is rare for us. So I think rare. we want to get into a slightly more sincere... Somber tone, Somber tone to yes. give this, the film this yeah, week. It's, I think uh, we it's, should. It's rightful yeah. respect. Yeah. So, so you want to give us a bit of information? So I basically... So when me and Sam first discussed films that he hadn't seen, it, it, it turned out that Sam had kind of not seen a lot of, like, sort of weighty, heavy sort of historical yeah. films that dealt with dark subject matter, sort of like the Holocaust, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. There might... I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think of other films, maybe, that deal with sort of... Like, I mean, personally, I've never seen, like, what is it... Um, What's that film? Sophie's Choice. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah. But but I know. Have you ever have you seen the Day Hunter? Sam? Never. No, I never did. I, I don't really. Yeah, I don't really like a lot of the vibes yeah. around it. I get a lot of film bro Scarface yeah. vibes around it. You know. No, it's not like that at all. Actually, like Scarface is, but the Day Hunter is very much uh, a very weighty, heavy somber film about the consequences of war yeah. essentially and the and the effect that it has on these four I mean men I think for me I've town, seen plenty of war and films people's lives. And, and you know some weighty films but I think it's a, it's always a question of yeah. when am I going to be in the mood for this and I think most of the war films and the weighty films that I'd seen were probably at a time where I'd watch them while living say with my brother and people uh, yeah. who would help to decide whereas now yeah I'm never going to sit down and think yeah let's stick on Schindler's List but as I found out last year, it's a bloody great film, Schindler's List. It is, yeah. And because this time of year, so when I recommended the, this film to Sam, so we, so we are doing the 2002 film, I should mention, uh, The Pianist, mm. uh, starring Adrian Brody. And it, Oscar uh, winning, directed by, I think. Uh, Oscar winning, Adrian yeah. Brody. Yeah, won three Oscars. Yeah, he won the Oscar, best Oscar. He was the youngest, and he's, I think he still is the youngest... Uh, uh, best was it uh, best, lead, best performance by a lead actor? Yeah, is that right? Uh, he was twenty nine when he won it. Yeah, what, nobody, couldn't to IMDb. Trivia. Nobody's won it since younger than that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, we can check on the break. Oh, if you the like, the listener can do so. that for themselves. Um, so wow. That's, so that's yeah. Funny. So again, we kind of come to this. So yeah, when I recommended this film to Sam, it was uh, near Holocaust Memorial Day, um, and you know I'm one of these people who kind of thinks sometimes these subjects need need looking at and mm. tackling, and we did it last year, and so I knew Sam hadn't seen The Pianist, and it's a 
great film. It's right so at the top I of my recommend list. It's it to it. literally the first conversation we had. Films we should yeah. see. It's in the top five, yeah. I think, uh, for the first ones yeah. that came up. Definitely in the top ten. Yeah. Definitely, and it was one of those films that sort of. I just again, it's strange how we just assumed that each other had seen all these kind of films yeah. when we used to talk about films, and we just, I, you know, like you know, when we talk about this and like inevitably compare with Schindler's List, you know, we always go back to that uh, phrase that um, uh, Edgar Wright said, you know, about some films are just you sort of the. You know, you want to watch the the fun action adventure films like you know, you're like your your Avengers mm. and you know your and all these Indiana Joneses and all these kind of films. But you know, at the same time, there's these like what he calls like they're like the meat of like of your film diet. Mm. But there's also you've got to have a full diet. You've got to have the like the veg yeah. and these kind of films like Schindler's List and um, The Pianist. They're very much sort of. The veg, I suppose, yeah, hard they're, they're, to, they're essential. Hard to yeah, digest, but uh, essential for your well-being. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's important to have that sort of, you know, it shows the range. I think of what cinema actually ultimately can do is that you can have big, stupid, dumb films like Fast and Furious <laughs> and Transformers, but you can also have these very melancholic sort of pieces about human suffering and you know I think there's very few you know there's very few mediums that do that you know maybe books and you know perhaps music does it but they 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 you know cinema I always why it's probably my favorite sort of medium is is because it assaults all your senses Mm. more or less you know um, it's visual and it's audio as well yeah. it's not just visual and you you know it's not just this it's, it, and this might make me sound a bit simple I think but I always argue when somebody says oh it's not the the, the, the film isn't as good as the books yeah. right now you get this with and sometimes that's completely legitimate and you know people hack the books to pieces but my argument is that no, the film isn't as good as the book in your imagination because you've imagined it in a very specific way. Mm. However, the the film, so the one I always use is Lord of the Rings. You, your brain can't imagine all the extreme fine detail yeah. that the thousand people that worked on that <laughs> film can, who've all got imaginations of their own and can all, all interpreted sort of Tolkien's work in a very specific way. You can't imagine... The things they've imagined mm. in your head, you can try, and I'm good luck to you if you've got that vivid imagination. Then perhaps you should be an author yourself. <laughs> but you know, ultimately, their collective weight of imagination does out. And what you're really saying is, I don't like it because it's not what I imagined. It's mm. not that I don't like it because I think it's better. And and sometimes, yes, the book is better because it's better written or better shown. I, but I also think to stand up for that viewpoint that. For for me, when when I think the book is better, which it so often is, it's more because the book can go into depth in things that they can't do in films. Even yeah. with the nine hours of Lord of the Rings, there'll be themes that are dropped. Like Shawshank Redemption oh. is, you know, one of the one of the objectively best films ever made. But I still mm-hmm. prefer, in a sense, I prefer the short the novella really because 
they get to delve into themes that they they kind of scratch the surface of in the in the film. On the other hand, you don't have Roger Deakins' cinematography, Sir Roger Deakins, by the way, Sir Roger, uh, Sir congratulations Roger, congratulations to Team Deakins. Um, you don't have his cinematography. Yeah. You don't have I don't forget the name of the the composer. But you don't have the music in the background to do it. You don't have Morgan Freeman's voiceover. Um, that, you know. That's my point. Uh, that is also my point. And I think if you're saying, oh, well, you don't, you can't get into all the fine detail, well then. You know, a lot of times, some books that are adapted adapted into television shows get can get into yeah, all the fine which detail. Which is why TV overtook film so, really in the last twenty years. You know, for like works for at least of art. A good 10 you know, years. yeah. I've, I've never seen a film yeah. that's as good as The Wire, in the sense that there isn't a film that stuck with me as long as that. But anyway, yeah, yeah. So I don't know what I can't remember why I got into this. But yeah, so that yeah, I was just saying. So like, that's what this that's the power of cinema. I think is it can you can it can deliver films mm. like The Pianist, right? Mm. So so what I do like about this film, and again, it is a hard watch, and ultimately, it, enjoy is probably the wrong word, but it's more of a what it's what what this film delivers. Yeah, and I've put you know at its core, it's a film about survival and the will to not give up. You know, and there are times when Adrian Brody's character, uh, Vladislav uh, Spielman, he, he, you know, he accepts his fate, and it's only through luck and sheer luck and dumb luck that he survives in certain situations. You know, he, you know, there's, I will talk about it later, but there's a scene when he thinks he's fucked he's, <laughs> for he's lack of a better word. Window. We are going to spoil the film, by the way, listener. It's going yeah. on the Netflix on the Netflix in the UK. Uh, if you want to go watch in the, it. The, the, the Netflix, yeah. So there's like there's a scene where he's like he gets caught by a German. He thinks this German's going to turn him into the Gestapo or whoever's still murdering people at that or point. Or shoot him. And he's yeah, or yeah, he probably <laughs> thinks he's going to shoot because he's because he's, he's Polish. Mm. Maybe he just thinks he's going to shoot me regardless, just because I'm Jewish. Uh, not because I'm Jewish, just because mm. I'm Polish. Never yeah. mind the Jewish part. And I think he and I think the um, the German officer figures out he's Jewish as well um, quite quickly, yeah. uh, based on his appearance at that yeah. point. Um, and yeah, you know, Spielman never gave up. I guess he kept on surviving. And am I right in thinking know, this is based on a true why. story? Because it it, it, hints it is. Yeah, it's very much a true story. Yeah. Yeah. And I had no idea until yeah. the final credits, which was the opposite of when I read Memoirs of a Geisha and got to the end and found yeah. out it was written by some guy. <laughs> <laughs> some English guy or American yeah. guys were like fucking yeah, I was so invested in that story American <laughs> I think yeah um, the film is quite harrowing like there's no getting away from it mm. this film there's some of those things in this have stayed with me for many years mm. I'm not going to pretend they haven't um, and I think like I said sometimes we need films kind of like this and Schindler's List just to remind us just basically how evil people can be to one another Do you know mm. ultimately I call we can be quite you know I was thinking before we I, we started recording tonight. It's like, you know, we have this very, we have this this awful example in history that we can tell our kids. You know, the most evil person who ever lived was Hitler. Mm. And I was sat thinking, so what, so before the, the the Holocaust, what did people used to say? Who was the most evil person right. in history before Hitler? Do you know who did? You know, who did people say they scared their I mean, children? If you're the historian, what would be your guess? Well, I well, my biggest, my first, my only guess, maybe like Genghis Khan. I would think. it be some ethereal abstract, or would it be somebody that we don't think about as much now? But to them, was it could the have enemy, been some sort you know? of biblical figure, maybe. You know, yeah. you're as you know, you could be like. I mean, what was happening in, like in Russia Gamora? in the in the you know before the revolution? Who were the big players in that? Are there are there evil people? You know, in that kind of area that you just. 
Well, I, I was just thinking what sort of force comes in yeah. and kills indiscriminately yeah. based solely on... on and there was no, level. you know, like... Yeah. You know, genocide was a term coined after the Second mm-hmm. World War like you see, to you've describe got, what happened. someone like Genghis Khan, probably one of the few examples, yeah. Uh, there's an mm. interesting thing, and I think I've heard Stephen Fry quote from somebody else, but I'm not sure who from. He said, um, when I think about Adolf Hitler, I think about nothing, because he's this sort of boogeyman. You don't... Th- think yeah. so much about him as a person or anything like that. He's, he's a sort of idea, isn't he? And he's he's obviously like the go-to if you want to try and win an argument against somebody. You're, you're doing what Hitler would yeah. do, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and something I really like about this film is it, it's actually done... It's the way it's filmed. A lot of the things that are awful and a lot of the harrowing things... It's film. I've put. I've written in my notes. It's filmed in living color. If that makes sense. It's not like the uh, Schindler's List, where it's all basically black mm. and white. You know, there's only a little the bit of color at the beginning. Uh, there's the girl in the red coat in the middle, and then there's a bit of color at the end when all the survivors are going mm. to see um, Schindler's grave in in Israel. But in this film, some of the most awful things in this film happen in the height of summer mm. when it's. You know, you can tell it's late summer, it's roasting hot, and, you know, you, some of the most awful things happen. Like, awful things happen all throughout the seasons in this film, yeah. but there's no, like, oh, well, here's, here's, we're in winter, or we're in, you know, a cold day in spring or something. It's, no, this is, you know, August, and they're being, they're all being shipped off and in, in, putting cars to die. in the same die, sense that you know? I know currently there's a lot of people who are trying to share more coloured photos, uh, not black and white, of Martin Luther King Jr. because they're saying this was post, you know, colour photography. This is not history. This is, yeah. you know, living memory. Yeah. Yeah, like like something I always feel with, like, when you watch something like uh, Saving Private Ryan or any of those kind of spin-offs from that, you know, like uh, Band of Brothers and the Pacific... Um, they're very desaturated colour tones. Mm. And it's kind of like a habit almost that you see in other sort of... I've seen other half-decent war films where they've desaturated the colour palette. And this film... Well, actually, the film starts off vibrant yeah. colour and then desaturates it as as Warsaw and, and, and Spielmann's condition deteriorate. Mm. Um so yeah, so but I just I kind of like that you know bad things can happen on lovely summer's days yeah. you know that kind of yeah. way. Um, I, I kind of like that. Uh, another thing you would like you know Adrian Brody's performance in this. You know he's 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 an actor who I would say he's not. I would he's good looking, but I won't say he's conventionally good looking mm. if that makes sense. He's, he's uh, a film good looking. You know, in that he's a bit yeah. odd looking but attractive. Yeah, yeah, he's got a quiet sort of powerfulness to his performances hasn't he you know he's not this and in this he's not some grand hero you know he's the aloof musician essentially Mm. isn't he you know and he's got like a sort of confidence that everything's going to be alright because you know for a man of because he's basically like uh, the film actually doesn't really go into this that much but he's actually genuinely quite famous in Poland Mm. and was famous at the time yeah hints of that but yeah with was it with um, Amelia Fox's character? Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this because I, I keep missing it. I kept missing it. Is it Dorota? Dorota? Dorota. Dorota? Yeah, I don't Dorota, know. Dorota, probably. How did you... Because there's, a, there's a, yeah. I know there's a name Dorotea, so it's probably Dorota. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, so, so she sort of hints at, you know, his, his fame sort of thing. And ultimately the film's heartbreaking because 
as an audience, we have you know we've got what is it? What do they what do they call it in um, in um, in fiction? We've got ah, um, oh, my brain's gone blank. Oh, so poetic, you know. Um... It, we've is it dramatic, dramatic irony? irony. We, we know, know what's going to happen. Yeah, we know something mm. that the audience when that they the start players, to celebrate because, so to speak, the, because Britain and France have, have joined the war. Yeah, and they're like, oh, it's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah, we know these things. Are, you know, we know the horrors that are about to be put upon this mm. family. And, you know that every time they're like, well, they're not going to get rid of all these. You know, yeah. capable workers, and it's like, yeah, they did. Mm. <laughs> you know, they they were absolute. You know, their 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 ideology was so twisted that it was just, you know, that, that I might have mentioned this on the last time we when we did uh, Schindler's List, but the the Nazis were so ideologically determined to destroy what they viewed as lesser races than themselves that they would they've actually took resources away from fighting the war to exterminate the Jews yes. and the undesirables that they viewed in. Uh, Eastern Europe and stuff like that. Like to be that pathologically determined to do that is insane. It's it's literally the definition of insanity because you're doing something despite yourself. It, you're 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 doing something that is detrimental. Like you could have all those people you murdered. You could have had working for mm. you, producing guns, ammunition. I, or, I mean, the best you physicists know, were Jewish. Food. They'd have had the nuclear bomb before before Allies did if they. Uh, made use, you know. Yeah, it, it and is they were they were du- and, you know it's something we covered a lot in psychology, and it's you know looking at the Rwandan genocide and the use of mm. words like cockroach to you know to to refer to the other yeah. obviously the the anti Jewish propaganda of seeing them as rats and so on and dehumanizing them to the extent that as you see in this film they're so dehumanized it's like well uh, you're going to complain while I shoot you in the head kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and some of the tragedy of this film is the fact that you see people collaborating with the Nazis as a survival mm. technique because so often throughout history when Jewish people have been persecuted they had effective strategies as a community to survive mm. do you know mm. what I mean they, know, they, they, they thought well if you opt in that was a way of surviving you know if you gave them all your money that was a way of surviving if you mm. you know pretended to convert that was a way of surviving where in this situation it didn't matter if they converted to Christianity to the because of the Nuremberg laws, they were just seen as Jews yeah. regardless. Yeah, it was crazy, crazy stuff. And so all the classic survival techniques that they're trying, you know, you, you don't see it obviously in the film, but obviously I know that most of those guards who, you know, a lot of the time, those guards who worked as like, you know, um, ghetto police mm. officers, they most of them died. Yeah, do you know of course. What I mean? If any, very few of them. Survived. You have this honor commando in the in the concentration camps as well. You know, Jewish yeah, people charged with yeah. the task of clearing away bodies of, de- of other Jewish people so that they can survive another day. Yeah, you know, but th- and so many of those died yeah. because they were just you're the you know when they were liquidating it, these they, places they just the killed them first, aren't they? You know. And I, I mentioned yeah. before, I, I must have mentioned this in this episode, a book recommendation called Auschwitz. Um, uh, I think it's okay. called an eyewitness account or a doctor's eyewitness account of a Jewish yeah. Hungarian doctor who was a, a you know very talented oh, yeah. doctor and he worked it. with Dr. Mengele because he, he was useful to him because he had you know this medical yeah. uh, training and you know he believes that that's what saved his life and it, it did you know because his family didn't survive but he was useful useful to them. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of the irony of the stuff like the Holocaust is because it was so devastatingly effective 
is we almost get this sort of, and I think I mentioned this when we did Schindler's List, is we kind of get this skewered look at the the, the atrocity because we see a lot of people who, we end up following characters who survived mm. who could tell what yeah. happened. And ultimately, the story of the Holocaust is those who didn't survive. Not many people and came back out of those showers, so it's hard to get a first-hand account of yeah, you know, what that's like. yeah. Uh, and yeah, and you know, to preempt, you know, that's kind of sort of what Roger Ebert says in his right. review later on. Um, no surprise, he obviously gets a mention this <laughs> week. Um, so we're pushing for time, so I'll try and get us on to the next part. Uh, what you might not like, um, the film's a bit long. I know sometimes films like this can be a bit long, and I think it there is it could be condensed potentially some parts in the middle of the, or the second half of the film. I very much see this as a film of two halves, and the second half of the film there are is as compelling as it is as the first half. There are bits where I don't really need to see Adrian Brody sat in a flat dying of jaundice or something. You know, I'm quite happy to skip past that and move to the. Not the action, but, you know, the time. And it does, don't get me wrong, you know, and it moved past. But that's the... uh, And maybe, I think, you know, is it too much of a detached view of what happened? You know, again, is... is, Was Spielman, was he too sort of passive and he was just reacting to events but again it's it's not that kind of character he's he's just a man in a position in a place in a time and he was doing what he could mm-hmm. you know so I'd be interested to see if you do have any criticism again you might not have been hooked by it and you just might find it boring um I don't know. Oh, and another... Actually, sorry, another thing you might have liked, Sam, uh, the music. I must have, I must have mentioned the music. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, good, good, good Polish composer. And uh, it's, it's very a much richer film for it. Um, and yeah, you know, when the you know when he's playing the piano at the very beginning at the radio station and he's playing Chopin and the... Um, and he gets bombed and the windows blow up. That actually happened. That's a real thing that happened. He was actually live on oh, air wow. playing in a bomb. Yeah, so it's not even... There's very little... So there's things in this film, I'll tell you now, that, and I don't know them all because I'm not that nerdy and I didn't find them all. But So there's some stuff because Roman Polanski, and we'll talk about <laughs> him later because we've got to mention the elephant in the room. Um, there were things that happened to him and he saw during... World War Two in in Poland, in more in Krakow where he was from, um, where his family was moved to from Paris after he was born. Um, there's things in that that he incorporated that he had seen in his life that he incorporated into this film that didn't happen to right, uh, Spielman. So so there are little little bits in here and there, but I didn't find them all. It doesn't the trivia and stuff didn't really detail them all. It's, so I just it's not to key for criticizing a film, I suppose, but it is interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways and and you and you know when we watch Schindler's list, apparently that's not as it's historically accurate, but the in the broad sweeps, but some finer details are obviously yeah. um amalgamated and characters are amalgamated and You've got um, documentary documentary, haven't you? I suppose. Yeah, ultimately, yeah. The timelines are always kind of yeah. streamlined for story. cinematic efficiency. Yeah. But yeah, so after that ridiculously long intro, <laughs> we're gonna have a break and then we're gonna get Sam's opinions. Yeah. That's what they'd say in Poland, Sam. It is. Or opinions. <laughs> Thank you.
and welcome back to part two of Please Watch This. So now we're going to get Sam's opinion, opinions, if I can say it right, on um, The Pianist. So Sam, tell me something you liked about The Pianist. I, I have to echo a lot of the things that you said, you know, that it is yes. incredibly powerful and it's the, the sort of this, they portray it so effectively, this callous disregard for humanity um, that the Nazis mm. had. And some of the scenes in which it just seems so random who they killed and yeah. so capricious and this sense of these lads who, you know, we've seen it in um, uh, Apocalypse Now and Good Morning Vietnam and a few other... Uh, Full Metal Jacket is the key one I'm thinking of, of this um, lawless, well, you can just kill these people. You know, this this a switch has been changed for these, for these military people. It's like... Well, you won't face any sanctions if you kill these people. You saw it in uh, Full Metal Jacket. They're just sat in the helicopter, just shooting farmers. You know, not even not even Viet Cong, and um, they 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 cover that really well. You know, these people who are just they're just a bit drunk and celebrating, so they'll just whip somebody or they'll shoot somebody or whatever. Uh, it is, it is amazing, and mm. and I really liked what you said about um, the the sort of power of cinema to convey things because. For years, we all read in books at school about these these atrocities and these things, and it really doesn't it mm. really doesn't sink in the the inhumanity. But if you've got a memory of an actor shooting another actor with a fake, you know, with a prop gun and and that sort of thing, that stays with me much more. The 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 sight of um, the little boy crawling under the wall. And Vladek is, he's yeah. trying, Vladek is trying to pull him out, and he's clearly been hit in the in the ribs or the spleen or kind of around the around the sides, and he and he presumably dies. That's so much more effective. Mm. Or if I have this family that I've that I've gotten invested in, and each of them are just, I mean, you know, you talked about a film of two halves, and I rewatched the film today because uh, and, and yesterday because um, we sort of had to reschedule, so we both watched the film actually a good few days ago. I couldn't believe how soon mm. it is. That the family get onto the trains. It's about fifty minutes in of a two and a half hour film. I was like, God, that's that's really like yeah, a break I, to act I, two rather than a, rather than a midpoint. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even. I thought actually when I because I remember it very much being almost like a film of yeah. two halves, and then I I did the same. I looked on my um, you know my clock on the of my mm. timer or what I don't know what you call it the run the runtime thing on my. Uh, on Netflix, and I was like, "Oh gosh, it's like like you said, fifty minutes yeah. in this. It's, they're gone in yeah. a minute or two. I know, yeah. I know, and and you forget you, that you're right about the so film being the long, but I certainly it. wouldn't use it as a criticism. In the same way that when I watch Licorice Pizza, it's uh, it's quite a long film in that it's not just this tight. You know, it's a Paul Thomas Anderson film, so it's not like a tight ninety minute. This we've got to get this. We've got to get this <laughs> to that thing. Imagine if he did a tight ninety I'd, minutes. I'd you'd be, be shocked. Be like, oh, you'd this be is a boxing film, and this guy wants to be the boxing champion, so he's going to do some training. He's going to box against some people, and then he's in the final, and he wins the boxing match. You'd be like, hang on a second, but you didn't go around to a to a drug lord's house, and, he, and nothing crazy happened. Nobody, nobody, no, like you. There wasn't a weird cameo from Ian McKellen driving and smashing into the side of the protagonist car for some reason like there was just nothing like nothing weird happened um uh, and, yeah. and the pianist has that as well in that i sat there thinking you know you know me i like to go to the toilet quite a lot or go and get another drink or something like that and 
and occasionally I'd pause it and I'd, I'd, I'd almost try and guess in my head, okay, how much of the film do I think has passed? And then it was never what it thought, what I thought, but it was never a case of I'm sat there bored. You know, I, again, we keep referring back to an old episode, um, uh, the Schindler's List episode. I think my biggest compliment for that was I fall asleep to films a lot if it's a bit late and I watched that. I started it very late. It's mm. a very long film and I, uh, there wasn't a, a heavy eyelid at all once I was, you know, laser focused on it. And it's the same with this film, really. It, it was never boring, I don't think. Um, and yeah, just thinking about that, the idea really that the that him surviving was sort of two thirds of the film. It mm. really, it's just one place after yeah. another. And I, and I understand what you said about, yeah. you know, I don't need to see this scene it could cut to a year from hence, you know, a year hence. But, but actually, I do need to see that scene because I, I mean, it, 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 I mean, it does. It is like six years of this guy's yeah. life, isn't it? Essentially, because it starts in thirty nine and finishes in well, forty five, yeah, exactly. doesn't it? And and this was obviously intentional. They they basically turn him into what the Nazis think he is. He goes from the most sort of sophisticated, mm. being you know, pianist playing on the radio to this scavenging, yeah. dirty survivor you yeah. know and and turns yeah. him into what the nazis think he was before you know and um i really like that the film yeah. is kind of even handed about that it's not this this is the noble jew and this is the evil nazi it's some jewish people in the ghettos made a lot of money because there was a there was a there was an opportunity there and some just survived and people did what they had to survive, you know. There's the scene of the old woman, and she says, a snatcher, a snatcher, and he goes to get her soup or whatever it is. And obviously in the moment, he, yeah. the guy who's snatching is the bad guy, but then he, he he eats it up off the ground. He is just surviving. You know, the woman goes around asking, yeah. have you got a drop of water? My son is dying, have you got a drop of water? And nobody's giving him a drop of water, because yeah. there's like three drops of water left, and they've got to survive. And, and it, it really... It must have assured some Nazis at the time that, like, oh, these people are just survived. They'll just do anything. They'll, you know, they'll do anything for a little bit of money or this or that. And it's like, well, if you put somebody into a, if you put somebody to a bucket and start filling it with water, they'll do whatever they need to do to get out and survive. You know, um, and I remember, I think, yeah. I believe it's from the, um, from the book I mentioned earlier, the Auschwitz book, when he talked about uh, in one of the gas chambers, somebody survived being in the gas chamber because. There became these, pill, these these kind of piles of bodies of people climbing on each other to get high up to get away from the gas, and so he, you know it's a sort of fascinating de- detail of some of the injuries and so on. But somebody had got inside that pile and survived because they were sort of yeah. airtight, and they came out and they came to, and then somebody just came along and killed them. Um, but yeah, you, who who wouldn't? There's a great line in 1984 actually, which was, uh, "There is a there is a point at which there is no shame in if you're falling. There's no shame in grasping for a rope, you know. So they're trying to subject one of the characters mm. to his ultimate terror, and he says, you know, there is no shame in giving somebody up at this point because it's like, you know, you're you're, you're drowning underwater. You come up for air. There's no shame in taking a breath, and and obviously there isn't, but it. But it is. It really doesn't shy away from the idea that you know, not all of them were saints. They had to do what they had to do to survive. Yeah. And not all the Nazis were. Yeah. The Nazis aren't just seen as this satanic evil uh, figure that you that you can't figure out. They're they're sort of people and humans, callous, awful humans. But obviously, 
I forget his name, but the Nazi who saved him or didn't kill him at the end. Uh, Willem Hosenfeld. Thank you. He, you know, he, or Will. Oh, Wilm, I think it he's might He's incredibly be. human, isn't he? Sure you know, but that guy killed lots of Jewish people. I've got yeah. no doubt about it. <laughs> you know, yeah, probably. Yeah. Or, lots of well, I think... Or if he didn't certainly didn't kill lots of Jewish people, he or lots well of I know Polish that. People, so yeah. I did. <laughs> he's he's not got clean yeah. hands. Yeah, he was still in the he was still uh, in the 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 uh, na- you know the the German there's army, red in his ledger. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know. I'm sure there's plenty of Russians who died at the yeah. hands of his units and orders. So there's, and there's a complication like to it, and, and um, like you said about the yeah. sort of dramatic irony that we have, and it's addressed. There's the sort of three. Uh, middle-aged to elderly men um, you know they're, they're, they're sending us off to work camps no they're sending off, us off to kill it's like oh yeah what you're going to carry some iron girders on your, on your back what you're going to work for them are you in their factories and so on you know this idea and this just mm. this, this yawning inevitability that's in front of them that they're essentially mm. and again going back to 1984 that you're a dead man walking you know as soon as you go, as soon as you're against the party you're not dead yet but you you are you know you're as good as dead yeah, and... yeah, it's, and that that's something that you know I, I, I've already mentioned. It's that whole, you know, the people were doing what they thought they they did what they thought was going to help yeah. them survive, and they just and they obviously, and and it must be said, even though the the Nazis did want to get rid of the Jews, like ultimately there were, but there was a, there were, they they didn't know. They were happy to kill them, but they weren't. There was a point where they weren't sure what to do right. with them, and that's why it's called the final solution because it was known as the Jewish yeah. question. And that, and then they were like, "Oh, we could just murder them all," yeah. <laughs> and you know, and that was so. Up until about I think maybe nineteen forty-one, perhaps there was no. Obviously, the state was murdering Jewish people, and I don't—I I could be wrong here. And this is one of these where I've got to be very careful what I say about being factually accurate. But there was no, there was no sort of um, how do I put it? There wasn't. They obviously they were happy to kill Jewish people. They were killing lots of Jewish people, but there was no like sort of state right. mechanism that was decidedly we are going to now exterminate them. That wasn't. That happened right. during the war when that decision ultimately. Obviously, they probably they might have done it after the war, yeah. or you know they might have done it. Um, but just this industrial scale you know, thing. Yeah, and that is the, yeah, and obviously there the was fascination a, of this film. Obviously, they were just skimming. Yeah. No, I was just saying, obviously, the discrimination towards the Jewish people obviously started much earlier than 1939. Yeah. It started in 33 when the Nazis came to power, and, and there's always been a lot of, you know, anti Semitism. Well, like there was in a feeling Europe at the time already to. 2000 yeah, yeah, years. You didn't, you know, yeah. we talk about Hitler, it's like a great novel, actually, Stephen, uh, Stephen Fry's Making History was making the point that even if Hitler was never born, this would still happen. He didn't convince everybody that Jewish people were, you know, that we should get rid of them or anything. That was a feeling that he he kind of made use of, and uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was fit like when Hitler was in um, Austria, in Vienna in the nineteen hundreds. There was a famously a um, there was a famous mayor of Vienna who was a famous anti-Semite, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? And there was something so, like 120 it, 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 publications, anti-Semitic publications in in like Berlin alone. Or, uh, yeah, I can't remember what it was. You know, so it, 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 yeah. And what I also really like is that this is a very personal film in that it's not a war film. You get little hints like 
um, or the allies have landed in France or whatever. It is, it's really, you know, we don't see Hitler, we don't see Churchill, we don't see all that. We just see the people it affects, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's, and, you know, the main character doesn't at no point actually shoots at yeah. anyone or anything like that he is literally just he gets shot at several yeah. times but he never he's never the one brandishing a gun you know he almost doesn't I know that he um, he helps them doesn't he smuggle mm. weapons in the potato sacks and nearly gets caught but he's never and he's one and he does kind of slowly want to help and he ends up doing you know things for the Jewish resistance and yeah it's sort of interesting that he never at one point ever kind of fights he, he might fight emotionally and Sort of, he might fight, you know, in the, you know, his his sort of, in his his own sort of resistance is surviving, yeah. but he's never actually like, oh no, actually, I'm going to take up a yeah. gun, and you know, but he feels again great survivor's guilt, doesn't he? Like when he's watching the um, the Jewish ghetto uprising, he um, he says, I should be in yeah. there fighting with them, but then he sort of says, what was the point of that as well? And yeah, yeah, it's he's he's a fascinating protagonist to have because if he. Like he lived through two. Sorry to interrupt, but he lived through literally two uprisings and didn't really no. partake physically in no. either of them. You know, he just waited them out, and you know he felt guilt about the first one, obviously because it was Jewish people. But he doesn't. He never mentions the second one. He never really talks about. You know, the he just kind of sees the devastation. Yeah, doesn't uh, he's, he's a, he's a spectator and a survivor. Which for this film yeah. is more interesting than if he was leading a rebellion and uprising. That's for another film, I think. Yeah. Because that oh yeah, and there is and there are films like I think at some point we might do the film Defiance with Daniel Craig and Lev right. Schreiber. That's a really that's a war film about about a true story of um, these Jews in Latvia or Estonia. I'm tempted to say Estonia, and they basically took to the they took to the forests these big open well these massive forests in um that part in a of the baltic world state and, and baltic. <laughs> an un- unnamed baltic yeah state. in a baltic state and yeah and they survived like for a few years in that part of the world basically surviving off the f- off the mm. land and uh surviving by raiding like getting weapons from local you know police which were very pro-nazi and um you know having to like fight and one of them goes off to fight with the russians and yeah and it's and then the nazis at one point decide to just kill them and so they have to fight against the nazis and that's kind of the more the denouement well i mean don't spoil the film it's not (laughs) no but it's (laughs) i mean you know to tell you that the nat they fight the nazis isn't exactly losing at the end i mean you'd have to read a book to find out mate watch the film but yeah that's and that's that's an interesting film because it's like well actually you know i think because that film came out in 2009 you know, one of the things that people always think, and I thought it myself, and it's like, well, why didn't they just fight back? Yeah. You know, you know, there's literally like at one point they say there's like hundreds yeah. of them in a in a little holding pen, basically getting ready to be waiting for the trains to deport them. It's like they could just overwhelm the guards yeah. and run away. But where who, do you, ultimately where do you run? Because because lots of you will die, and you know, it's that uh, we really like that peep show bit of. So come on then, would you join the French Revolution? You know, and it's like. <laughs> Sorry, French resistance, and and, and, uh, and you go, well, you know, everyone thinks they would, but I wouldn't, and and you know, it's like, would you house a Jewish person in your house? 
knowing that you'd get killed and they would get killed if it was found and it's like before I had a child I would be I one mean, of those people say yes of course yeah, I would now maybe. I can openly admit there's no way I would endanger my family's life for somebody else even if they're you know and, and it's just yeah yeah it does ask those, those serious so questions. basically you're a Nazi uh, Sam well and that's, <laughs> that's the other thing as well with this film is that say when yeah. it's just the way in which they infiltrate and I can see how you know if you're if your country's invaded by a military force how you wouldn't want to stick your head up above the parapet you just go along with what they do but the way in which they change the the the, the feeling and the thoughts of everybody such that when he's found in one of the apartments and his neighbour says he's a Jew stop that Jew and I think who are you why do you want them to stop this Jew you're not a Nazi are you like you know, Vladev's yeah. uh, dad. I think that woman's German as well in that scene. I think there are Germans that have moved into those, you know, of the, the, those right. apartments. But but it's still people. And also, at one point, <laughs> you know, says, I mean? you know these, these people they want to be more Nazi than the Nazi party, and more Nazi than Hitler. Oh, they want to and be I more. Think, God, yeah, yeah I mean, Nazis than Hitler. Yeah. And I mentioned again. I mentioned something in the Schindler's List episode, a really good episode of Behind the Bastards, where they talk about the um, the everyday nice people who let Adolf Hitler, you know, rise to power. And it's you know, there's there's a much watered down parallel to the the American nonsense that's happened for this last half a decade of these these nice middle class people who you know live these professional nice lives but they they would they would let let a fascist leader in do you know what i mean um and, yeah. and it's those people you well, know at least a pseudo again, fascist anyway, yeah. um you know there's fewer people to enforce these rules than there are the people who are being enforced upon but they convince you to 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 to, to snitch on your neighbors and your family members um, mm-hmm. And you're right, yeah. You do think, why don't they just fight? And it's like, well, because, like I say, most of them will die, even if overall it'll it'll win. How do you how do you convince people to do that? Yeah, especially when, again, as a as a group, they've been so oppressed for so many exactly. years that you know they just and and people like the Schwielsman, you know, when we're in sort of that kind of upper middle class rung of society so they'd never dealt with these sort of hardships and I think something that's you see that's really interesting in this film is you know the deterioration of Warsaw basically mirrors the deterioration of sort of the Jewish people in that part of the world the film is so good at at just laying out these this step by step this this gradual commitment which is you know no nobody really would go um you know, a leader comes across and says, "Okay, I'm going to set up these death camps and all this sort of stuff." Nobody would go for that straight away, really. I mean, you know, you, you'll have heard the, the Milgram electric shock experiment, I presume. Yeah, you know, yeah, for, yeah. For anyone listening who doesn't know about it, but you probably will. Uh, you get members of the public and you bring them in and you say, "Okay, one of you is going to be a teacher, one of you is going to be a learner." It's always rigged so the learner is a confederate, an actor, and you have to give him an electric shock if he gets a question wrong. And then you've got to increase the shock next time, next time. And it goes all the way to 450 volts. He pretends to basically die at around about 330 sort of volts. You know, 65% of people shocked him all the way. Isn't part of the experiment that there's somebody, basically an authority figure to do this? Who pushes them, yeah, he he prods them to do it verbally. Uh, That's basically, that's the the thing, isn't it, about that experiment? It's the... the, um, when there's somebody who's in authority telling you to do horrible yeah, things to people. Yeah, and what's fascinating is... It turns out that most of us... He's not even your drill sergeant. He's not even your rules. teacher. He's not even a police officer. He's a guy in a lab coat. Yeah. It's like, the point of this is... So you do yeah. for an experiment. And um, anyway, yeah. what's sort of so fascinating about that was just this kind of, like, gradual commitment. If they said, 
give this person a 450 volt shock that might kill them everybody would say no mm. but because you've given him a 15 volt shock mm. you can give him a 30 volt shock you can give him a 45 shock and this is yeah. gradual commitment to the point where people have forgotten how in- inhumane this is you know it starts with uh, no Jewish people allowed in this cafe no Jewish people allowed in the park to yeah yeah shout for a police officer to dead bodies exactly, in the street yeah. so yeah. quickly as well this this rapid sort of and i think going back to something you said earlier as well this idea of why don't they just fight how do they accept it i think for me and it's i guess it kind of ties in with favorite shots and scenes and so on is uh mm. the uh when vlad is it vladek or vladev Vla, vladek so he's what yeah. the main character so his name is uh the name of the real man was it's vladislav right. But they all call him like Vladek. Vladek. Well, Vlad- yeah, Vlad- it's like a basically. sort of VW, is it Vladek? Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, it's like being called Johnny. If John or <laughs> so, something. it's like a pet. It's like a, it's like a pet. So while name, Vladek is working for uh, that name, uh, I've just been calling him Spiel. Uh, yeah, Spiel. <laughs> people just, come up. A guy yeah. comes along and he just picks people out of the line, tells them to get on the floor, and he just shoots someone at a time. And the guy that we've just formed a relationship yeah. with is at the end of the line. He gets to him. His his uh, gun runs out of bullets and he reloads and the guy's just like patiently waiting, shot in the head. In your head, you're thinking, yeah. run, because what's going to happen? Yeah. They're going to shoot you while you're running. But maybe you'll get away. Maybe you'll, yeah. you know. But yeah, it's it's so hard for us to relate. And there to are them. and there is examples in this film where yeah. people run and yeah. still die. That woman who yeah. gets shot in the back. The, fam- the poor family who was dragged out of there by their dining table I mean yeah, yeah. that is a gruesome yeah. scene and yeah they're just sort of like it's just again it's kind of this uh, yeah. going back again to uh, Full Metal Jacket it's just like go and by have the, fun you know? oh by the way I have to mention sorry I do I do have to mention that Hitler's like hatred towards the Jews always kind of in his mind did end in some form of destruction I wasn't saying like he was like oh yeah no I hate the Jews I don't mind killing some of them <laughs> but it was always like he wanted them to Die essentially, and he, but he was at one point happy for them to all go to the go to like what we you know what we call right. Israel now Palestine. He was at, the, at one point there was a thought of we should just get rid of them all. Get it was kind of an out of sight, out of mind yeah. attitude. But he was always very happy to exterminate. So this idea that he was he they came up with it late in the day was sorry. I would just right, want to clarify right, that right. that was what <laughs> happened. To, you know he was always quite happy to. He was always thought about just destroying them completely but even he thought that that was sort of maybe a ridiculous premise well yeah until and, it was and, actually and possible. you couldn't convince people to do it in day one but you maybe six year six you can get people around it and yeah. also to kind of yeah. i know we're talking a lot about things that aren't necessarily the film but you know this is something to be talked mm. about um this yeah, idea definitely. of why don't you fight back it's like well they still had hope if it was you know the idea of treblinka and auschwitz and bergen Belsen and all, all these things are just rumors and like the wider world yeah. weren't they weren't aware of these things while they were happening so all you do is yeah. you just survive well, day to day if you're going to charge a guy with a gun yeah. and almost certainly die you want to know that you're basically dead that's basically your last resort they don't know they think oh well maybe we're sent off to just work maybe this and maybe that you know maybe we'll survive this if you yeah. and, the, and the Nazis are very good at hiding yeah. this as well if a they, million people knew you know, they were going to die they would they could over overturn it they could revolt and they could they'd outnumber yeah. them yeah you know? yeah yeah uh, it's yeah, it's, it's, yeah I mean it's harrowing you know you hear some of the stories of like these Einsatzgruppen in like in the Baltic states taking whole villages of people you know like Jewish people um, and then they would take them to a into a forest 
right? And they would dig a big ditch. And what they would do is they'd put them all kind of in double or single file, make them walk through this forest. And then it was only once they got to this like clearing that they realised they were about to get yeah. executed. So they 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 obfuscated yeah. their what they were doing to the people who they were they, doing it to. Understandably, to a point, if you're trying to murder them, but they were they were so yeah. deceptive for so long. Well, they long. covered it so well. And I think yeah. what's great about this film is, so I was thinking when I was trying to make my notes, how do you comment on a film of an issue of this magnitude? As long as the film deals with it respectfully, you sort of can't criticise mm. it as a film, although, of course, it is a film that you can criticise. And... Mm. Um, but they've got such a responsibility to cover so many things. So when the when the viewer is thinking these questions, why don't they just rise up this and that? Um, the guy who comes out and he's trying to speak their language and he puts in a bit of German now and then, uh, he's like, you know, mm. you may have heard rumours that we're going to send you off, but, um, you know, why would we give you three kilograms of, of potatoes and some bread per yeah. person? Um that really well covers that obfuscation, doesn't it? Of, of oh, don't, don't worry, of course mm. we're not going to send you to these places. And people, yeah. because of hope, would have clung on to that. Obviously, they weren't buying it then, but they would have clung on to the hope and the, you know... No, I think by the time the, Wals- the ghetto in Warsaw gets liquidated, a lot of them are sort of like, oh, yeah, here, this is... Yeah, oh, fuck this. I've heard this <laughs> You know, this is yeah. definitely not... <laughs> yeah. Um, so I do actually have to ask you, what is there anything that you didn't like about this film? Obviously, you mentioned so, certainly it was a long film, but that didn't really bother you. <clears> more of an observation. Is it well paced? Do you think this? Do you think it's well paced? This film. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. People seem to be obsessed with pacing in films. It's never something I've really noticed that much until recently. I think. And I think I'd have think to be taught what it in really a sense, means. I think it only applies to. Well, I know what it means, but some films or most films, really, most films that are a story, have to have that. And maybe I've got this recency bias. Oh. All I've got in my head is licorice pizza. Licorice pizza is a, it clearly yeah, is in your like head. any problem <laughs> film. Pacing is is not his primary concern. So I don't think it applies to film. I mean, I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson will happily linger on a shot of a man riding a motorcycle away from two for people two minutes, while they react to it, but screen, then you know. for two minutes. But will happily then skip years of yeah. somebody's life. And what I noticed watching the pizza know. was that he. Was so I like, think that's a bad example. You know, a, a, a couple of characters will fall out, and then they just freaking reconcile. It's like he's like, "Oh fuck it, I don't want any of these obligatory scenes that you have to reconcile with." Yeah, no, and I, yeah, but you know, to, to, for the, for example, the example you gave there for the master of him riding the motorbike, you you just show what needs to be shown, and the, the audience respond to it. And I think that's true in the pianist, in that we we sort of have to be with him from apartment to apartment just living out this quite boringly uh, nihilistic existence. You know, he's got this kind of Hmm. incredible stress and trauma of will the person arrive with food, will they not? But also, this is really boring, the life he's got to live and tantalising his living with a piano, but he he can't play it. Uh, No, I I thought the person was good uh, in in that it served its purpose. Okay. So do you have any criticism? Uh, uh, No, I... Criticism. It almost seemed churlish, I think, to come up with any sort of criticisms, and I ge- genuinely didn't. Uh, I think it's even-handed, it's human and humane, and you know, maybe a better critic okay. than me would come up with criticisms, but I no, I didn't. I, I couldn't come up with any. Okay. So we're going to move quickly on to favorite scene, mm. favorite lines, and favorite shot. So Sam, what was your favorite scene? I, I, okay. In fairness, 
I don't like to use no. the word favorite scene for these the kind of films. So what was effective. the what? Yeah, best. Yeah. So what was the most? I I, I try to use the word. What was the most effective, affecting scene in, terms, in this film? Oh, affecting, I suppose. Although that's quite word. different to what. Yeah. Affecting, yeah, am I saying it wrong? <laughs> I always get those two confused. So, yeah, what was the most affecting scene or what affected you the most in terms of I think left the impact? I suppose what it comes down to is when I think about this film in three years, what will stick in my mind? What will come out? And there's a, there's obviously a few. I think the one where he's preparing to throw himself out the window is an astonishing scene because it's, it's such an insight into living this life of uh, you know a dead man walking really he is a dead man mm. who's not dead yet until he survives um, yeah suddenly there's a hole in the wall and he can yeah. escape what, a, what, a, what an existence to have where you think well if somebody knows I'm here I'm better off throwing myself out the window yeah. and preparing to do it and just yeah. preparing to do it you know um, I think that's incredible yeah how about you what's a scene that stands out for you so I think I've seen that got a lot of a lot of praise at the time was the one when he's playing the piano for the the German yeah. officer because of the contrast of the two yeah. characters. You know, one in the Wehrmacht and the other one a surviving ghetto Jewish person. But the one that I found most affecting, affecting, yes, was um, <laughs> when he's in that flat and he goes to sit down and oh, he shadow plays yeah. the piano, and it's. And I think if there is one criticism of this film that one of the critics brought up, and I don't think I've mentioned it maybe in the the section I took out their review, was that there isn't... This film could have gone through the exploration, you know, like you could have filled some of that that, that time in the second half of an exploration of an artist, you know, somebody who is a creative, you know, because although he played like Chopin and other... um, great composers he was a composer himself he made many many mm. songs himself so somebody whose life was centered around this talent this creativity of an artist how that was stifled by the war what what things he wanted to do to release that creativity that he clearly felt and that that need to perform the on the piano and you know what what did he what could he have done? And that's the only thing in the film you say, and this is the only, sorry, the only scene in the film where they actually explore well, that. Is it's really interesting you say that because I had a similar thought. This. And he hears the music. Yeah, his, and I, his, I, uh, I really had a similar thought and then I thought, actually, <clears throat> really what what it's demonstrating is that, and I, and I think it's right not to put this as forefront, it's demonstrating what he's lost. You know, he meets this cellist. Mm. It's just It's just perfect for each other. And then he can't be with her, yeah. and then she's pregnant with a, a husband, another man's child, and, it, and her husband. Yeah, that's yeah. like a life yeah. that's been taken. And then, and, it, and yeah, and that's and it's and that life uh, again as well. It's almost like yeah, you know, it's not like because it's real life. It wasn't like after the war no, they exactly. got together. There's no fairy tale, <laughs> you know, and it he, was, he doesn't meet up with his yeah. family again. They're just gone. There's not even like a. It's never even a question that they're dead. They're just gone. They, they might be fret. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and I yeah. and I felt like this they set up so well how important music is to him and how important he is for music, and then that you're absolutely right that scene is is really fantastic. And then I did have as my other choice him sitting down and actually getting to play the piano because it's it is a it is a pianist who can't play the piano, and it's a pianist who has a piano to play but can't play it. Um, it's just this it's it's there's an irony to it that is, you know. Uh, mm. very hard to take I think um, mm. but 
like I said, they deal with it well, and he's it is he's reminded of this. And I think what's most telling is the 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 Nazi officer asks him uh, about his life, and he says, "I am, I was a pianist." He's accepted that he, he isn't anymore, and I think that's people mm. use the past tense quite effectively when when they're talking about grief. Uh, I was watching, I was rewatching This Is Us again, which is bloody brilliant. And oh, yeah. uh, somebody's talking to a widow um, and asking about. Um, you know her husband, and he said, and she does say he. Well, he is, and then she corrects herself and says he was this, and and it, I, I think if it connects with that idea really well. Hmm. Yeah. Um. So, because we're talking about most affecting scenes, so that was that was the that you know quote quote the best scene in the <laughs> film for me yeah. personally. But I think there's there's things in this that are very affecting. Mm you know, some horrific yeah. things. And I, I don't know, did you have a particular scene that you were just like, oh, that's just, there's, that's there's awful. Two, yeah. and you mentioned the kid yeah. earlier, didn't there's you? There's two or three moments of, of, I think brut- about of brutality. Three, three, there's the, yeah. There's the throwing yeah. the man in the wheelchair out of the window. That'll stay yeah. with me. There's the boy under the wall. Yeah. There's the woman who asks, where are we going? Yeah. And who just gets shot in the head. Um, there's the workers yeah. who are just lined up and the shot. And, and so is that, it's just that, yeah. that banality of it and the, you know the sort of everydayness of it. Yeah, the one that stuck with me for 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 most years has been the one where, because um, obviously I saw this film maybe in two thousand three, two thousand four. You know what probably. stuck with you for best part of twenty years? Yeah, for yeah, for, yeah, yeah. So I, even if it was, I saw it when it was on Channel right, Four, yeah. I think. So I? within I'll a couple of years, two or three years of it. Yeah, yeah. Even if it, even if it was like four years, even if it was like two thousand six, at least fifty you know, years. What had, has really stuck out? What's yeah. Really and it's the one where, like you said, when he shoots that yeah. woman in the head, he just cook. You just because in the film itself, it's so unexpected. Yeah. And you get the well. feeling that that like, guy will not when, even think about that for the rest of the day. It will not even occur to him. He just kills her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He just because what he thinks. Of and Jewish in the cut people, to the next scene, you know, he thinks he's doing the, the right to the thing. The next scene, there's a baby crying, and I don't think it's inferred that that's her baby or anything like that. But it is a case of like, it made me think. God, who is she leaving behind? That he's just killed, you know. Yeah, really. But yeah, that one really sticks yeah. in my mind over the years when he just point blank shoots. It's like the one when he shoots the. Um, it's a. It, it, I hate to keep drawing the comparisons, but they are very similar films in their subject material. Um, in Schindler's List, when he shoots the architect mm. in the back of the head, and she just basically falls to a knees and bat her face bounces yeah. off the off the snow doesn't it that's awful as well it's that those two but the, strangely enough though as a, watching it again because I haven't watched it I've seen this film about maybe three times four times now and that bit where I, I kind of forgotten about you know when the young boy gets mm. beaten to death and he, and obviously um, Spielman holds him in his arms as he dies, and that's it that was, was awful. Yeah, you know, really like as you know, I've got a and young daughter, one, so anything with kids in the film, yeah, I was just like I don't, yeah, like yeah. And the bit where the woman keeps repeating, you know, this, why yeah. did I do it? And then yeah, that that as I've got older, that's just that. You know, I don't have kids, but yeah, when you hear yeah. about those sort of the, the, just the the horrors that the the you know the woman. Did a, what she thought was yeah. the right. She had to make a awful choice to, to try the right and save the rest of them. Would have died in that waiting area. You know, she doesn't know that, but and it, you know, and she says, doesn't she? Like she says an awful thing. Like, oh no, she doesn't say it. But the um, 
the person who tells them yeah. the story of what happened, it says that she smothered the baby and that didn't actually yeah, they prevent them being caught because the the death... God. I mean, could you imagine? I'd, I'd never want to hear the death no. rattle of a baby. That is not something I ever want no. to hear. I didn't even know babies could oh, yeah. death rattle. I don't think I've even heard a real <laughs> death rattle and I never. I don't no. want to hear it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, f- okay, so... More conventionally favourite line. There was one that was quite subtly done, which was uh, Dorota to. I think it was Dorota uh, to, when he's talking about the Ghetto Rebellion, and um, he's saying what was the mm. point? And she says, "Just be proud it happened." You know, they died with dignity. That's what good it okay. did. And she's right. You know, if you're going to die, and you know you're going to die, yeah, then, then that is the only way to do it. Right. So let's moving on to my favourite line of the film. Um, I, I, do you know what we were saying about criticisms earlier? And I don't think this is really a criticism necessarily. I would say that perhaps one, not that it lets it down. The, the, the script in this is very good, but it doesn't have many memorable lines. I would say. And I think when you compare it to say something like Schindler's List, when you know. Um, Oh, what's the character that Ben Kingsley plays called? And he goes, the, you know, he's like, the list is life. Mm. You know, they're the they're the stuff you remember in this. But there was just one that kind of caught me off guard in this one. And it's just when they're going to the train and they're in that kind of queue. And uh, Spielman just says to his sister, uh, Helena, um, he just says, ah, oh, it's funny time to say mm. this. And he kind of trails off and she, and she goes, what? And he goes... I wish I knew you better. And at that moment, you kind of—he kind of knows they're yeah. probably off to die, yeah. and he's like, he regrets that he didn't get to know his little sister more. Yeah. And it's yeah, you know, it's those kind of you know those very sort of you know they you know what are they doing? They're reflecting on their lives, aren't they? Essentially, at that point, you know what it, what it's been and what's happened, and he's yeah. like his regrets. I, I agree, and I, and I think you're right in the sense that it's not got many quotes you'd put on a poster. However. It's very <laughs> not saying that it's, it's very well written, well written in the sense that the dialogue is very good. It's just yeah, it's not like a Tarantino snappy, snappy, snappy. Uh, no, and I don't expect it to be. I yeah. suppose for that. Uh, favorite shot then, Sam? Uh, again, there's a few. I think the one that like I was, I was. I think I tell you what, I'll go with the big headline one, which is uh, he's just been saved by that very Hitlery looking uh, Jewish. Uh, police officer the guy who saves oh, yeah. his brother um, but yeah. he saves him by taking him out of the line for the well, he doesn't save his brother he does saves he? his brother from the um, oh from the from the Gestapo yeah. later um, in the film yeah and uh, he, he's just he's just been saved he's just sort of snuck out he's not getting on the train he goes back to the ghetto and he's just sobbing uncontrollably walking through the the bodies and the suitcases just strewn yeah. all around that is a so very the, the, um the devastation, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, so I think as a shot of this film, that is, I think, very telling. And the other one that really stood out was uh, kind of a momentary, like, it, nobody says it out loud, but you see it and it, you have a, you, you almost have a wry smile. The uh, the Nazi who helps him out gives him a little care mm. package and it has in mm. there a tin opener. And it's just this lovely little Oh, yeah, for his, his, you know, is it for his... Is it his pickle? Whatever's in that tin. Yeah, um, that he's trying to open. I thought, oh, that yeah. was just like a very, just a very like thoughtful moment, and I really liked that. Uh, the character who's in the police force is called Ishak Heller. Right. Yeah. Isaac Isaac Heller. Yeah, and he's the one who saves his life effectively right. at that moment. Um, 
my favourite scene is that one when he's it's when Warsaw's been like destroyed basically and he's just walking down that boulevard with all the burnt out houses yeah. and he does that long tilting up shot and it just shows you the devastation for up to the it's horizon a very convincing shot isn't it out. I mean I don't know how much actual yeah you know it must be digital yeah. building or if it's just CG or what yeah had, a lot of it's CG it is yeah and it, I think it's one of those where I think it's like kind of we've spoken about it before you know CG used sort of in the background is much more effective than CG used in the foreground yeah. so I'd say there's a lot of practical set stuff but then ultimately it's just probably need to a lot extend of, it uh, further and yeah, you know yeah, it's not that long ago you saw you it, saw images like that from Syria and other places of this this just mm, building is mm. just gutted and just entire towns yeah. you know yeah, yeah, that's the futility of war, yeah. I guess. Uh, right, okay, so that's all that. Now, Sam, we're going to have a quick, quick break, and then we're going to move on to critics, um, what you thought of the film. And I have decided we are going to do a quiz, okay. uh, but we were worried about literally trivialising the film. But quite we, frankly, we did yeah, this. we'll do it for this. Yeah, yeah, we will treat all our films equally, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, unlike what the Nazis did to the Jews. Um, so. Yeah, so join us after the break, and we'll speak to you in a sec. Hello, and welcome back to the third part of Please Watch This. Oh, just before I go on to the critics, um, so we do have to talk about the, the elephant in the room, and that is Mr. Roman Polanski. Mm. Now... He he made this film. I uh, I'll just double check, but I think this film did win best director at the Oscars the following year. Uh, let me just double check. So it won best actor in leading role, best director, and best adapted screenplay mm-hmm. for Roland Harwood. Um, so what do you know about Roman Polanski? Well, I know he's a bit of a shit, but I've never really looked into his actual shitness shittery yeah. <laughs> right before we so, do, do uh, how how easy or difficult do you find it to separate art from the artist I, I, I always find that I'm a bit of a hypocrite when I do this because it's easy to go oh well that guy's a right shit but you sat there listening to Michael Jackson one yeah. night you know what I mean or you sat I don't know who famously was also a shit but made great art you know yeah. just you know of um you, you, you know, Kevin Spaces of this world, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you know, when you find out some of the things people, I mean, like, so someone like Kevin Spacey clearly did a very bad thing, but he's not been prosecuted for it. You know, he's not been convicted of anything. You know, it was inappropriate, but you know, there is that sort of liminal line when you're in a minority like somebody who's a closet homosexual that I'm guessing Kevin Spacey was for 30 years and there comes a sort of a risque nature to your activities that I'm not excusing his behaviour and you know you ask Anthony Rapp he did it to him when he was quite young but you know ultimately he it was sort of a a risky thing that he shouldn't have done and he's and I've heard stories of things that he's done to other people where he's like exposed his genitals and things like this to people or I think there's a story of him reaching down some young lad's 
well, I say lad, you know, like a like a man in his like late teens, early twenties, you know, over eighteen, and he like grabbed his cock and went, "Oh, that's nice," or something mm. like that, or "That's a big package," or something. You know, there are these stories of his sort of behaviour, and there's that sort of that if you're you grow up saying this is a this is wrong, and you know you've got to kind of hide it. Then I think the, you tend to do riskier things, mm. um, and so maybe that that in that regard, you know you're not I'm not excusing it but I can understand it where somebody like Roman Polanski who's had a very complicated life quite frankly and people seem to be willing to work with him despite what he's done and um you know he, he let's give it a quick outline so Roman Polanski he's born in I think um born in 33 in Paris to um a Polish uh, father and I think a Russian um Jewish mother, basically. Uh, although, strangely, not born Roman Polanski. They changed the name. It was Raymond uh, something or other. Let me... Where is it? Oh, it just says Roman Polanski. But if on the IMDb, it gives, like, the name they had, and then his father changed the name after the war or something, mm. strangely. I'm not, I'm not really sure how it happened. But, yeah, he was born in Paris. They moved to Krakow, back to... Poland uh, in um, 37 obviously the Nazis invaded 39 he he survived the war his father survived his mother didn't she was murdered at Auschwitz um, you know he's spoken about how that he says he'll only reconcile what happened to his mother when he dies himself um, you know at that point there was no nothing untowards about who he was and then in the 60s he was married once, that got divorced, and then in the early 60s, he met Sharon Tate, and obviously she famously was murdered while pregnant, yeah. while pregnant by the Manson family and all those people. And that, this again, reading some of the quotes from him today, it was his saying, you know, I was quite, he was quite a happy person despite what happened to him when he was young, um, you know. But after that, he was very cynical and, you know, saw the world basically half, you know, saw the glass half mm. empty essentially. Um, and I'm paraphrasing there; that's not exactly what he said. But that his his outlook on life changed because he says it's the one. He was like, "That's the one seminal moment of my life mm. when my," and I feel like things would have been different if I'd been there. Um, who knows? It's you know, it's that what if, and a man who survived the Holocaust has got another what if in his life yeah. in his personal life he, you know so what sort of effect that had on him come the 70s when he's what in his what 40s. so late 70s so he's yeah he's yeah he's 40 isn't he by that point he's in his 40s easily and yeah he had sexual relations uh, and with a 13 year old girl there's no getting away with it there's no denying it that's what he did um, there's been accusations of other things so he went to trial and he was going to um, he went to trial he was going to basically get away with a plea bargain he was going to plead guilty and they were going to charge him on like a lesser count of um, so it wasn't like sexual assault and rape it was like um, so yeah so in 77 he was arrested and charged with drugging and raping a 13 year old girl as a result of a plea bargain he pleaded guilty to a lesser offence of unlawful sex with a minor yeah, um, while well, she wasn't down pit. <laughs> Sorry, I have to bring some levity into this somehow. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so he was going to plead guilty to that. He was going to get basically like a suspended right. sentence and put on probation and all this sort of stuff. And, yeah. you know, he was yeah. a shit in that 
you know, for what he did. Uh, and then he found out because, weirdly, the judge who was presiding of the, you know, the sentencing, he, um, mm. he told somebody, like a screenwriter or something crazy like that, some guy called Cock. Um, I can't remember the guy's first name. It says here, it says on the Wikipedia article. Uh, I can't. Let me see if I can find the name. Yeah, Howard E. Cock, a screenwriter, was speaking with the. Uh, the I think the, the attorney or with the judge or something, you know, like out in personal life. What does it say here? It says, um, so yeah, so it says that, however, he learned afterwards that the judge, Lawrence Rittenband, had told some friends that he was going to disregard the plea bargain and sentence Polanski to 50 years in prison. I'll see this man never gets out of jail, he told Polanski's friend, screenwriter Howard E. Cock. Um, so... Polanski basically didn't appear before the um, sentencing. He f- left the day before, so this is in the US, uh, left the day before, went back to France. And really? because he's a French citizen, he couldn't be extradited without to without the permission of the French government. He couldn't be extradited to um, America. And I don't think the French kind of let their citizens be extradited all that often. So he's a- he actually was on an Interpol red list for arrest. So he can basically, he can only go to like France, Poland and Switzerland. They're the only countries he can really go to. Otherwise he'll be arrested and sent back to America. Um, so that's the, that's the, the nuts and bolts of it basically. Uh, as the years went on, the woman who he uh, assaulted, she sued him in a civil court and that, in 1997 eventually led to really? an out of court settlement because she, they'd, obviously they'd ruled in her favour but it turned out so this was in the 80s when she'd grown up when she was in her 20s I think and she basically she won the case but it turned out there was like half a million dollars or something outstanding in 1993 and she's gone on to say stuff like I think oh, what was it like the media or something um you know, like they've done more damage than you know, sort of uh, the victim. Now married and going by the name to stated in it. Yeah, yeah. She so she stated in an interview in two thousand and three with Larry King that the police and the media have been slow at the time to mm. slow at the time of the assault to believe her account, which she attributed to the social climate of the area. In two thousand and eight, she stated, "I don't wish for him to be held further punishment or consequences." Um, she, there's a bit where she said, like, basically, um, she was half, she's not happy, but she was sort of like, you know, the the whole palaver around it was more than, you know, than the what ultimately Polanski, the damage Polanski caused to her. I see. Yeah. So the the actual mm. the actual event was something, but the fact that it's presumably yeah. defined yeah. her life she must be in her 50s or 60s now it's defined yeah, no, her like life. I said you're the psychology expert here on this podcast you know does that sort of childhood trauma that Polanski and then adult trauma he went through in his mid 30s does that does that does that weigh on a person's like sex can that create sexual deviancy because you know I don't care how pretty a 13 year old girl is she's still a 13 year old girl at the end of the day she's still a Basically, just pubescent child. She's post. You know, I don't know. You know what I mean? I, Sorry. I've... Yeah, and I always think these things are more complicated than they are, in the sense that, so for example, 
uh, Adam Johnson, the football player, he goes to prison for sexual contact with a 15-year-old girl, I think. Um, and neither of us, I hope, would seek out a 15-year-old girl. Not personally. Um, no, Not my bag, no, baby, as was, uh, Austin Powers would no. say. But, so, okay, what's really interesting is I'm going to talk about Licorice Pizza again <laughs> here. So one of the central Sam, have you watched the film that, Licorice Pizza recently? Have I seen a film other than Licorice Pizza or The Pianist? The, one of the central controversies is that the, the central, the couple, or the, the sort of leading male and female, he's 15 and she's 24. And a lot of people don't like the film because because they have a flirty relationship but the whole thing is that she says no to him uh, you know and that that isn't the, the relationship but people judge it because it's almost like they're saying oh you're, what you're doing is you're endorsing relationships between older and younger people it's like no this is real life where sometimes that happens where we all know somebody who was in a relationship with somebody inappropriately older than them you know my first girlfriend left me when she was 17 18 for a 28 year old <laughs> You know, who'd already slept with their older sister, by the way. You know, Didn't life know is complicated. You know, I was watching um, Fast Times at Richmond High yeah. the other day, which is like a an 80s teen sex mm. comedy. The girls are 15 in it, but they're having oh, sex. Right. I didn't know that. And it's just like a more modern day one, or it's just like American Pie, but in American Pie they're 18 because you know social sensibilities are, well, I don't want to think about them having sex or see sexual scenes unless they're overage and I can deal with it, you know? But actually, people get really hypocritical about this stuff because they'll talk about all this sort of stuff and then they'll go watch porn with an 18-year-old actress in it. Do you know what I mean? And Mm. they somehow think they're superior because she's 18, but a month earlier she was 17. Uh, And people get very... But I'm, I'm totally missing the point, really. In You've all of that, definitely gone off on some really, sort of tangent. That I'm not. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, basically, I said it but, does the the things that affected Polanski in his life, and did it did it sort of culminate in him his sexual deviancy to try and have sex with a thirteen year old girl? I mean, it's it's hard to explain how it would have any sexual impact on you right, at all. Okay. But there are you know all kinds of in, yeah. in all kinds of psychosexual things you get yeah. into. You, you almost want to give him a pass because he's had the worst, you know, one of the worst possible lives you could have. Yeah. Um, but in his, I mean, if, you know, like getting down to the, the basics of it, it has no impact on my enjoyment of this film or my ability to mm. think mm. about this film or anything mm. like that. Um, and I think, I also think 50 years is quite a long time for somebody to change and rehabilitate and grow and learn and yeah and all that 30 years is a long time between the events and this film happening yeah like you said about Kevin Spacey you know well he's in prison or he's not he's on trial or he's not you know these things are and and you can I don't know I mean you know how has Roman Polanski carried on working how was he allowed to do yeah and it's because people yeah well obviously he works in like France and Poland and things like that and obviously Mm. I mean I feel like now in the current climate since the Me Too movement which you know is a good thing ultimately I think that he would have never got anywhere near winning best director no because it's I completely he, agree you know he 
had sex with a 13 year old girl she wanted to have sex with him that's you know that's her prerogative but she was still a minor he was still the adult you know say what you want but he did the he did a stupid thing <laughs> but this is the this is the odd thing right if he was if he worked in a factory before this assault nobody would say 5 10 20 30 40 50 years later what's he doing working back in a factory again he did this thing you know currently this week a footballer who was who was convicted of rape, I want to say, was it? Convicted of rape? David Goodwillie. Mm-hmm. Um, he joined Wraith Rovers and then one of their major sponsors pull out, pulled out and everybody said, what a horrible thing. He shouldn't be allowed to be a footballer again. Um, he won't get played now for, for Wraith Rovers and he, he'll have his contract, presumably, uh, you know, destroyed. Mm-hmm. It's a weird thing and I'm not, I'm not taking either side on it, but it is a weird thing that if you're in the arts, mm-hmm. it's different to if you're just working a job. You know, so for me, for example, as a teacher, if I had a relationship with a 15-year-old girl, it makes perfect sense that I should never be a teacher again because that's relevant mm. to my job, that people can trust me with their children. But if I worked in a factory, why would it matter if I worked in a factory again? What what difference does it make with Roman Polanski if he's a director again? I mean, you would that? say I wouldn't want him to be a director of, with, of films where there's children, quite frankly, or teenagers. He shouldn't teenagers. be with Girl Scouts. But if he's directing Adrian Brody to you know to in a in a World War Two um, drama, uh, the only difference is that he's making a lot of money and notoriety from it, and we know mm. about it from from you know from and it's kind of like similar with footballers who go to prison for these kind of things and come back. I do think well, I don't want to celebrate this person, but what relevance does it possibly yeah, have? To I suppose, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a very moral grey area, isn't it? And I don't think we're going to get an yeah. answer to the question tonight. Weirdly, we're we're not really the the people for the no. job, but I, I do find it, and I don't. I don't it has to be part. I, it has to be part of the conversation. Sometimes, and I don't know what I think. Yeah. It has to be part of the conversation, doesn't it? When we talk about, because yeah. I think the only thing I would say maybe, and it's more of a devil advocate argument. This is a guy who does a bad thing and works at a factory, and then goes back working at a factory, doesn't have a platform to then express himself creatively to a captivated audience that will ultimately watch you know no one's given him x millions of pounds to to make you know films essentially to have a voice yeah but equally we don't we don't have a we don't have an income cap on x cons no um, but and also, if he made, but remember, film, as, I think it's free think, expression. If he if he made a film that you can't you can't profit from your crime. So if he made a film about his crime, then no, you can't. I do would that. also, but he can make a film about. His I would also, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I would also say as well when it comes to Polanski as well. Obviously, he technically didn't face the justice ultimately, and I think that sours a lot of mm. people's opinions. Well, that's the, the for me. That's what I, that's what I'd care about way more than is he allowed to make a film that I yeah. can enjoy because it it had. I actually just while I was watching the film, forgot it was a Polanski film until the, the till the yeah. credits, and then I thought, oh, oh it's that guy. <laughs> I, I, he he's a bad yeah. guy, um, you know. But he's lived ninety years. Life is long, and he's done a lot of good and bad things, presumably. presumably. Yeah, you know that, that life is complicated. Ultimately, and people are complicated. We, we've all we've all done stuff. Not I don't think either of us have ever done anything as bad as he has. But we've all like there's been there'll be occasions in your life where you're like, well, I'm glad that wasn't broadcast on social media uh, to the world because then that's what you'd be defined mm. as. And you're like, you know, whatever it might be, you know, even minor things. But you know, we were all horny teenagers. <laughs> 
presumably neither of us have committed sexual assault. I'm but, aware of. You know, <laughs> they never caught me. Well, you know, <laughs> no, I'm joking, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah. um, I just, uh, this isn't confess your crimes. Bit, yeah. yeah, well... I, I'm really not into, I'm really not the sort of person who talks about cancel culture and so on, but I do feel like people get a bit a bit on their high horse about this sort of stuff. Okay, but do we give a pass to people who are talented for, you know, for doing, to do things like Polanski? You know, Polanski clearly is a very talented, you know, director. He, he made Chinatown. He's He made Rose, he, yeah. is it Rosemary's Baby? He made The Pianist. Uh, a film I really like that he made is Carnage, if you've ever seen that, from 2011. Well, look, I mean, you know, if somebody tells a moral truth or they, they have an insight that you, that you, that chimes with you it doesn't matter what else they believe I think it's the question is should they be given once they've been found guilty of something this because it is a pretty heinous crime I personally think it's not it's not I I can't trivialise it I I, you know it's giving those people those platforms and is it and is and I, I, but he's not a platform to tell no, everybody but else it's to but it's endorsement goes, it? by association, isn't it? It's saying we believe that you are talented enough to allow your crime not to affect your pro- produce, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? And I'm fine with that. I think, okay, because because otherwise it's like. Otherwise, we might as well kill people who do. <laughs> That's fair enough. There, and uh, yeah, no, I'm a, you know, and th- then we can talk. There's a whole thing, and we haven't got because this is an hour and a half long now. Uh, of you know, there's you know, because I think because he didn't face justice, he never went through what we would say is rehabilitation. Do you know what I mean? Because he wasn't in yeah. prison or he didn't go on probation. And, and f- for me, again, that's the feeling. Like you know, either the criminal, either the criminal justice system worked or yeah. it didn't, and then. You know, with Kevin Spacey, it's like most people wouldn't go see a film with Kevin Spacey in it yeah. as a sort of boycott, or they just don't, they can't buy him as a character. Yeah. I think people behind the person. camera as well get away, can get away with a bit more because they're, yeah. they're not the face of something, you know. Yeah, if you found out like the, the grip on a film <laughs> was an awful, awful, uh, you know, multiple sexual yeah. assaults and so on, you'd be like, yeah, but did he do his job? <laughs> yeah. Has he been to prison and performed his ways? And people are right to people have a right to boycott. Yeah, so it's true, like if true. you'd never want to watch a Roman Polanski film or a Woody Allen film, it's like yeah. that's up to you. And if enough people do that, he won't I mean, get it. It must be pointed out. Yeah, no, yeah, Woody Allen's another controversial figure. It must be pointed out as well that Roman Polanski is married to a woman 33 years younger than him. Doesn't yeah, help his case, again, does he? Yeah, Martin Freeman's 50 and he's just going out with a 29-year-old. It's like, so what if I was 50 and I was rich and famous? I'd go out with Because <laughs> most women look best when they're in their 20s and 30s, you know, yeah. like, and if you're rich and famous enough to, to, yeah. to do that. You know, a lot of people have that sort of judgment. It's like um, Anna Nicole Smith, I forget her husband, um, he was, what, 86 something or something? Like and he could go out with a 26-year-old 26 model? at the time. Or a, a, another 80-year-old woman? It's like, what are you going to yeah. choose, you know? Well, we can't excuse it. <laughs> equal out of that relationship, but very different yeah. things, you know. He's like, this is yeah. my chance. Okay. Well, I think we should move on to the critics now because we've we talked should, we about this a lot longer minutes. than I would have liked, and it's going to take a long time to edit. And you know, I've, I want to do things tomorrow. So, um, right. So we're going to go to the critics, and who do we normally mm. speak about when we have the critics? Roger Ebert.
Roger Ebert. That's correct. So, basically, the first question I have for you is what star rating do you think Roger gave this? Four out of four. Well, let me read his review and see if you still have that opinion. Interesting. Some reviews of The Pianist have found it too detached, lacking urgency. Perhaps that impassive quality reflects what Polanski wants to say. Almost all of the Jews involved in the Holocaust were killed, so all of the survivor stories misrepresent the actual events by supplying an atypical ending. Often their buried message is that by courage and daring, these heroes saved themselves. Well, yes, some did, but most did not. Here is the crucial point. Most could not. And he goes on to further say, after the war, we learn that Spielman remained in Warsaw and worked all his life as a pianist. His autobiography was published soon after the war, but was suppressed by communist authorities because it did not hew the party line. Some Jews were flawed and a German was kind. Republished in the 90s, it caught Polanski's attention and resulted in the film which refused to turn Spielmann's survival into a triumph and records, and records it primarily as the story of a witness who was there, saw and remembers. That's great. Yeah, that's 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 yeah. that's Ebert in it. But he gave it three and a half stars, maybe because he felt it was a little detached. Okay. I'm, I was surprised. Um, would you like to hear what... Uh, <laughs> Peter... <laughs> Peter Stern of the Rolling No, Travis. Peter... Oh, Peter Guardian yeah, of the Bradshaw. Yeah, Peter Guardian of the Bradshaw. Sorry, I wasn't sure which, <laughs> which way to do his name there. Yeah, so Peter Peter Guardian of the Bradshaw, he said, uh, the neat arrival of a good German and the suggestion of a redemptive humanist equivalency between him and the Jew is tough to take, especially when we've watched such horrific Nazi barbarity. I suppose this is the kind of narrative difficulty that dramatisation entails, and all in all, Polanski uh, surmounts it very plausibly. The Pianist is a weighty and moving film, a genuine achievement. Yeah, it's true. What do you think he gave it's just it? Life. I, I, it sounds like he quite liked it. I mean, they do a five star rating, probably four. That was correct again, but not five. Which I for a film that mm. was so. I think it. Look, we're going to move on to the, the the persons whose opinion we care about the most here. Please watch this. Yeah. The other person who's watching the film for the first. We're more than Robert Guardian in the Peter. Yeah, yeah, either, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Peter Guardian of the Travers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's your opinion, Sam. So, Sam, how many Chopin's out of ten would you give the pianist? That was a very tasteful rating scale. I would give this nine Chopin's. Okay, what makes you not give it ten? What is the difference between this and say? Again, I'm going to say it one more time, Schindler's List, because it's there's other Holocaust <laughs> films available, and I, but those are the two. We've these watched. are the two we've watched, and um, it's the two that are probably most I don't know famous. What it is. I, you know, there's, it's not that there's anything wrong with it. It's always the case. You can get to, you can get to an eight out of ten by being pretty flawless. You ha- to get to nine or ten, you have to be extraordinary. I think. And it is extraordinary, but not quite as extraordinary as Schindler's List. No, I get it. I think it just comes down to how much it. Um, moved me and, and affected me and yeah I think it's very I think very it's good. a very good example of the difference between perhaps American film narrative and sort of European film narrative there is a sort of a mm. you know we look at a you know this we look at it from the point of view of the affected family and they're a well-to-do middle-class family, sort of like probably the director. I imagine his family, you know, there were people living in Paris in the 30s, you know, I can't imagine they were down yeah. and out and not, you know, on their luck when Polanski was born. Um, I could be wrong. Um, 
down and out in Paris. And yeah, but ultimately, you know, that's the kind of there is this sort of European sort of economy of feeling, I suppose, where the Americans tend to mm-hmm. lather that on a bit heavier than we do here in in Europe, I suppose. And I think maybe that yeah. might be ultimately the difference between the. Maybe just Schindler's List is a better, I hate to say it, maybe it's a more compelling narrative. Obviously, this is the story of one man's survival, where Schindler's List is the survival of many hundreds, isn't it? I hate to say it. Perhaps that, that's part of it. Maybe there's more to and it's, it's got more to get It's got into. like a I mean, redemptive how, how, arc. How many Chopin's do you give this out of ten? It's, well, and just, kept, just before I give it my rating, like, yeah, the sort of, um, you know, Oscar Schindler has almost a redemptive arc, doesn't it? Because he's a war profiteer who turns yeah. into this man who tries to save people and he, you know, he breaks down crying when he realises, you know, he feels like he could have done, he could have done even more, you know, that's... Yeah, maybe that's the, maybe it's just slightly has a more profound effect on us yeah. than, than somebody you know he grows and so on but it's not like that redemption and I think it would have been nice to have seen we don't really get too much of the post-war period as well it's literally he's back at his radio station he's playing his piano you know this film goes full circle and then they talk about trying to save um, the German officer who helped him and then it turns into they literally just pan the camera to the sunset and it's over and he's oh oh, sorry he's playing sorry he pans yeah and then he's playing at the um He's playing at the uh, Opera Hall, isn't he? Um, yeah. Which is a lovely ending, actually. But it's very... Boom, bang, bang. We don't find... We just get told what happens to Spielman. We don't see... I would have. Yeah. You would have liked yeah. to have seen him maybe meet his future wife in the 50s or something. Just just so you know. Because you get told he lived a long age, a, lot, a long life. And But I would have liked to have seen him... It'd be such a, lo- it'd be such a Return of the King prologue to be like... Well, we've told the story. Oh, and by the way, he lived for another 40 years, so here's the rest no, of his life. No, I don't want the rest of his life. Yeah. I would have just would have liked to have seen, you know, because the man lost everything. Do you know what I mean? He lost his entire family. Yeah. Yeah. He lost, you know, the woman he loved. But I think it's enough to say this man is now back to being a concert pianist yeah. uh, with an orchestra, you know. You fill in the gaps. That ends that, <laughs> that ends yeah, story, it makes yeah. visual and narrative sense, I guess, but it would have just been, you could have yeah. still had that then. Um, just a 10 out of 10 for me. I really it's, right, yeah. It, it's yeah, I can't a pretty flawless film in it it's just you you, mem- you remember it you know what I mean it's hard you know and, and, and jokingly Ricky Gervais in um, extras you know had Kate Winslet saying oh you know play play a Nazi uh, you're playing a Nazi film and you get an Oscar yeah. kind of thing um, and there is a truth to that but there's, there's, there must be such a vetting process that I haven't seen a film about this time period or this experience that was handled poorly and obviously, presumably, those don't get made if they're written you know, <laughs> yeah. in that sort yeah. of way. But there is. Oh, there is I've seen one you... quite bad film about the Holocaust. Robin Williams made oh, a yeah. film in the early two thousands. It's not a bad film. It's just not. It's just a very. It's got. I think it's got Lev Schreiber in it. Actually, it's just a very. It's called like something like Jacob, the Liar. I think it's called. And and oh, right. basically, um, Robin Williams plays this sort of comedic man in the Warsaw ghetto or something like that and it's basically the the Holocaust is happening around him and he's trying to bring levity and trying to keep people's spirits up and obviously awful things Mm -hmm. are happening but 
that's a very Robin Williams yeah role, it, especially it? during that period yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. it never shows any of the horrors really of the I mean I'm, I could be mm. misremembering it it could do but it never it's like that period between the being in the ghetto and before it's liquidated and that's it right and right. it's this I mean I don't know if you've ever seen the film Iron Sky <laughs> where they go to the moon and it turns out there's Nazis I thought that was a documentary <laughs> they've, they've been living on the dark side of the moon this whole time oh, those cunning Nazis <laughs> to just but yeah that was probably the one Nazis I hate yeah <laughs> yeah uh, right we've been prattling on for a long time so I'm going to quickly run through the quiz with you Sam so question me. one where do the family ultimately hide the money they have oh but uh, in the in, violin? Correct, in the violin. What instrument does... Sorry, what instruction does the ghetto police officer give Spielman when he pulls him out of the train queue? Um, well, sod off, really. No, uh, don't run. Yeah, walk, don't run. Yeah. Walk, don't yeah. Run, and yeah. in real life, he actually was told to run. But Roman Polanski oh, right. <laughs> had saw something similar and someone was told to walk, not run. So he... It makes more sense yeah. in that scenario. He gets by the cars. Question three. Yeah. What year was the Warsaw Uprising? 42? Nope. 43? I'm, I'm going to stop you there. You're wrong. 44? Oh, eventually you were going to get one of them right, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. You didn't know. So, sorry. I can't I can't let you name all three years, all Reasonable. six years of the war. Reasonable. Yeah, it was 44. And they they uprose. Mm. They thought the Russians were going to come and help them, but the Russians didn't. And it was seen as sort of a dick move by the Russians because um, again, it's like Blackadder. You know, when they think that they're going up to the front and they think the war's over, he says, "Is that? It's so quiet. It's the war over. The Great War, nineteen fourteen to nineteen seventeen, mm. and that dramatic irony of knowing that." Sorry, to 19... Yeah, he says 1917. Yeah, 19, yeah, yeah, yeah. 1917, yeah. And you go, oh, because you, you have that moment of hope and then you realise, no, it's not. Yeah, because Blackadder just goes, no, that's just the signal that we have to go now. He said, I yeah. can't remember exactly what he says. Yeah. Uh, question, that was three, wasn't it? Question four. What food did uh, Wilm Hof Hosenfeld give to Spielman when he was in hiding? Oh, good question. Oh, he had like a jam with the bread. Was it bread and... A jam or something like yeah, a jam? Yeah, bread and jam. Yeah, just yeah. a bread and jam yeah. thing. And uh, obviously a, a tin opener. <laughs> you know, having watched this film, I, I I made like a sort of potato veggie broth really? the next really? day. Because I was you just, just, yeah, it was, it was a weird... Had to, it affected you that much. You needed to feel it. felt it. like it would be so nourishing. And? You know, when he's so when he's so hungry, oh, it worked really well. The stock was, the stock did all the work. I have to say the stock did the leg work. Stock, stock um, you up, did it? But, it okay, but right well, this this podcast is running very long, so let's keep the hmm. pointless anecdotes. Oh, well, I've got another digression. Today I had a Thai green curry. <laughs> right, uh, question five. <laughs> How old was Spielman when he died in 2000? Oh, good Tells question. you right at the end his age, um, in the credit. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'll say 80. You were close. He was 88. 88, that, that's... Yeah, well done, yeah, Sam. I, I kind of knew you that. You watched the film, you got three out of five. Sam... What yeah. film are we going to do next week? Oh, next week we are going to watch something of a classic. Would um, you say that the director of this film has some sort of um, <laughs> link to oh, the... For fuck's um, sake, say the name the, of the film, you numpty. Cheese-eating Surrender Monkeys. Uh, yeah, I would say he's got a French Ray, connection. Um, Jesus wept. We, we're going we're gonna to begin on a bit you of a tell that wasn't planned, can't you, listener? 
a, a bit of a oh here's a, here's a little rhyme for you we're going to go on a quest of guest requests quest of guest requests uh, sort of rhyme quest and request okay. it seems like a cheat I'm looking forward to it uh, we've been requested to do the film The French Connection yeah. next week controversially neither of us have seen Ooh. it controversially it's going to be technically my recommendation to you I'm pretty confident I'll like it yeah be a shame if I would if I didn't, uh, but it's been requested to us. Um, you'll find out more, more next, next week. week. So we're going to watch Gene Hackman's The French Connection. So Sam, what do you know about The French Connection? <laughs> what do you know about The French Connection? Yeah. Uh, Gene Hackman, it's a crime thriller, isn't it? And is it that one where they have Mini Coopers and they steal some gold yes. bars with Michael? Yeah, I've not seen it. So I'll, and Mike Wahlberg. Uh, yeah, definitely yeah, Mike yeah. Wahlberg. Yeah, yeah, it's that. Yeah, um, and they play the Great Escape. Neither at the end. really know much about it. <laughs> <laughs> Who even directs it? it? It's a big. Director, oh yeah, it's. It? Don't be looking this up here. I want to know. If I you do know. know, but I can't remember his name. I have, been, I have right, heard. He says, well, yeah, I'm just going to Google it. It's not uh, Coppola. It's someone really no, big, and I feel it, embarrassed not to know. I this. think him and uh, Gene Hackman did a few films, didn't they? Uh, yes, it is a big director, but I'm not going to tell you. Because um, I think it's, it's more, part, I think it's more fun. I'm not going to draw this out. So what Sam is going to tell you next week who it is. He's still alive, though. Yeah, he's old AF, but he's still alive. He's not as old as Roman Polanski, actually. Um, is he older than Ridley Scott? Probably. Who's 84, by the way, and still turning out quite. Good uh, films. He's a year older. He's a year older. Okay, I might be so wrong there. Um, I don't know. My, Listen, you'll know who it is, and I'll feel embarrassed. Um, French Connection is obviously. What year was Scott born? 84 years ago. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> <laughs> so 1938, 1939, that kind of time. Anyway, listen, we've prattled on we've quite a lot. Um, yes. Hugh, if they no, wanted to older than than tell Scott. us who the director of The French Connection was, how could they do that? Well, what they need to do is um, go to a computer and email us or a phone. I'm not going to make. Right. At what address? Uh, what please address? Watch this dot pod. At gmail dot com. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do so my. If you have a French internet connection. You've made me do a silly bit now, Sam. When I was trying to not do a silly bit because we did the fucking oh, pianist and we can't make jokes yeah. about the fucking Holocaust. Well done. But here, here we, we are. are. Here we are. I've ruined it. Uh, I uh, alternatively uh, we are on Twitter <laughs> at please watch Bond. Please. <laughs> Watch do or pod. do not do, you know, who cares? Civil <laughs> play, uh, watch pod. <laughs> I don't know what All my Spanish has taken over the okay. French. Por favor, mira pod. Let's go. I think that's this is a really long right, listener, episode. We love you. Take care. Hugh, you're the everyone. best. And listener, you're even better than that. Thanks. Bye. 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 <laughs>